1: And welcome to this week's edition of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou Sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me, as always, is fellow Tribune sports writer Langston Newsom. How are you doing, Langston? Absolutely fantastic. Fall sports is back I'm in Missouri. Yes, high school-wise, it is back. Mizzou has not started having any games yet. I imagine, actually, cross-country might be the first to start. Uh, we're still waiting on official schedules from everybody. Uh, the only one we know still is football, which starts September 26th. 23 days from today but overall let me start by asking you langston just what's on your mind what's going on with you in the world of sports and how's how's life you know it's interesting in the last
2: maybe eight or nine days just the amount of you know involved um, student athletes um, all across the country and coaches kind of stepping up and being at the front forefront and really kind of listening, joining in on these d- several different marches And really, I think, doing their job I, Last week I talked a little bit about Drinkwitz I was happy that he was stepping up, that he was speaking out About everything that's happening in this country But I'm going to kind of walk that back at the beginning of this episode It's part of their job It's it. Sh- I, she shouldn't be praised for it I'm happy he spoke up, so I don't want to get that confused But this is about a job. He needs to be there for his athletes, whether of any race, any sexual orientation. He needs to be there to listen and to stand with them. Or he can't really truly be a leader of men in this situation if he can't stand there and he can't listen and he can't show his support for his players. So I'm definitely happy. I was very surprised that Nick Saban was at the forefront of Alabama's march Um, just because I didn't really see him as a very political figure. Or someone who would step out and kind of put himself on the line like that. But I was happy to see that, and I was happy to see Coach Schenkowitz along with the rest of the Mizzou Black Student Athletes Association. I hope I got that right. You did. You did. <laughs> on Wednesday night with their march and talking about the things that they want to see happen on this campus and, you know, sharing their experiences and their stories.
1: Yeah, in full discretion, we're recording this on Thursday the 3rd. Since the last time we came to you last Thursday, Mizzou has held zero media availabilities where we have talked about actual football with them Uh, of course it's the journalist's curse when I say last Thursday I I can't see Mizzou canceling a practice because of how focused they are on COVID and then literally the next practice they have scheduled they cancel it for a team meeting uh, to talk about you know just you know social justice issues and then they retool their schedule where we meet with them last Saturday to talk about why they canceled practice and then they hold their closed door scrimmage on Sunday just to move everything around so it was kind of the best of both worlds and we have not had any availability with them yet this week tomorrow the 4th is the first chance we get and then we'll also be talking to coach Frankwin again on Saturday so you know if we I want to talk about more football and we can get that as it gets closer at the end of the day we have games meaningful games in the SEC 3 weeks from today the FBS starts i think even tonight there are some FBS games going on i don't know what they are uh, i know last week was Central Arkansas and Austin P i think tonight Texas State might be playing that's a that's a team in San Marcos Texas i hate to cut you off
2: yeah. but watching Central Arkansas play last Saturday i realized I don't need college football back that that badly. I, no offense to them, it was basically a glor, glorified high school football game, and I'm happy the SEC has taken the time, pushed things back, getting more practices in because it just it was just a bad look. And I get it; it's rushed. COVID nineteen has kind of changed
1: the off seasons, but I was like, this is terrible football. Okay, 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 this is this is why it's good to have two different viewpoints on the podcast because I disagree with you. Remember back last year? It was Florida and Miami, and my, Florida was ranked in the top eight in the country. How bad was that game last year? That was also bad. Yep. Right. So <laughs> I, I don't. I, I think no matter who you throw out there first, they're the touch subject. They're going to burn and crash, no matter who it was. It, it did not look good that it was FCS. I agree with you because I mean there was the first offensive play of the game where it was. Uh, touchdown off an option play then 53 minutes of of punters punting it back and forth after three and outs, then six minutes of Big 12 football to end it. That was the game essentially. And so I I, I think as long as it's safe to play, I kind of got to disagree actually with Langston there. I didn't watch any of the game. I was busy with other stuff, but Now the college football is back. It's a great thing to have on the background, especially because it's the major sport I cover this time of year. Gaining any intel of what's going on in the country on the field is new intel. So I don't mind watching it, especially if it has some sort of impact on the college football season. Um, But going back to uh, Langston's point, which I think is interesting, and I don't disagree with him, that Drinkwitz should be applauded, but not the level that he has for doing what's right by his players. I think it's just during a pandemic and – with how divisive, especially in Columbia, social justice issues have been this decade, to see the stark turn from what happened in 2015 here uh, with, you know, the, you, were, you were a student here at the time, right? You, you, you no, could start, was, I was a senior in high school. You time. were a senior in high school, and I and I was a uh, my first year working in Texas, so I was not here either. Uh, but I remember hearing about it and just all of the social justice issues that went on then, and I don't want to explain it incorrectly, so I'm not even going to try and take a stab at basically what went on i just know the words poop swastika are somewhere in there um you know and, and look it up for yourselves and most of you if you're listening to this podcast as a mizzou fan you already know what i'm talking about but just the response of what's happened and especially me covering that protest last night from uh the columns going down past hill hall and the extent of tiger avenue past the couple of those frat houses delta Upsilon, a pi and i think kappa Delta's right there too uh just going you know straight there past there under the stadium boulevard tunnel into memorial stadium and hosting a sit-in just it seems like how this is being received and you can just see how the huge smile jim strick had on his face when during that press conference last night i'm just like man these kids are great it's like it's just such a stark difference from five years ago i don't know whether that's because the internet is more susceptible to it there's more outrage because of other things going on or whether it's just the right kids having the right message at the right time i i don't know what the combination is but it's nice to see that no one's platform is being you know small at the end of the day i don't care what your message is but you have a right as a college athlete to use your platform however you see fit and i appreciate that these college athletes platforms right now at mizzou are not being you know shut up you know what I, I I love
2: that you brought that up because that definitely brings a of perspective because I look back at my senior year when I was making my college decision obviously I'm not an athlete but where I wanted to oh, go to, you're not <laughs> where I wanted to go uh, to continue my academic career and I remember people asking me about you know concerns to 1950, I mean, 1950 and mm-hmm. I remember having to explain that you know I didn't think that mizzou itself as an institution was racist or having to explain that i you know i toured the campus myself and i felt safe in the time that i've been here but in a five-year difference to see student athletes stand up and to see this type of reception i couldn't i couldn't agree more it is a beautiful sight to see when you put it in that context of what happened here five years ago
1: yeah and just i mean there's no denying it and it, it stinks to talk about but it but it is a very much a fact that columbia has a very racist history you know the boone county courthouse the main you know, law of this county is on the same grounds that was a sl- that was a slave you know auction ground in the 1860s that that's a fact that-, that that's undeniable and so that's why the mizzou athlete football march that was led on june 3rd marched from the columns to the boone county courthouse and now it's the mizzou black student activities association or athletes association sorry i got that mixed up with misha in my head um <laughs> Did, you know Is using that platform in that way And I think it's definitely not the last we're going to see From Kassan Suggs, Kiara Slack uh, And the bunch And just to see their first event Last night and covering it was it, it definitely feels like we're on the Heels of something complex and as a journalist You know basically our jobs Are if you can't Explain it with an elevator pitch Of what the story is in about 30 seconds There's one of two things that's happened One you need to do more research And likely that's true for number two as well. But number two is there's more to the story that hasn't been made public and isn't there yet. And what this group's impact is very much is not public information yet because they haven't planned a second event. So... There will be much more to come in terms of these social justice issues, and I'm sure Langston and I can talk more about it. But before we forget, and I'm sure you see by the title of this podcast, we had Columbia Native and SEC Network play-by-play commentator Tom Hart as our special guest this week. Uh, Here's my interview with him. He probably gave the most unique answer I've ever heard to, how does Eli Drinkwitz fit in Columbia? It was an answer I never could have predicted. And here is my interview with SEC Network's Tom Hart.
0: Sports podcast, this time, with NBC Network's play-by-play commentator and Columbia, Missouri native, Tom Hart. How are you doing, Tom? Eric, I'm great. Thanks for having me. I, I love the fact that um, whenever I do interviews or radio shows or podcasts that have to do anything with Mizzou, I love the fact that we get the Columbia native in there. I don't know. It, just, it sounds cheesy and um, maybe a little bit goofy, but it makes me feel good that people know that.
1: I, I could have went a step further and said, Rockbridge High graduate and, and given the year, but I decided to withhold that information.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's let's plus <laughs> let's not alienate those QPs, right? I mean, we're all in this together.
1: Uh, uh, absolutely, but yes, Tom. Tom is absolutely from Columbia, um, and you were working for SEC Network, kind of right after the time Missouri joined the conference, right?
0: Yeah, I was. Um, matter of fact, I was at the Big Ten Network when Missouri. Made the change to the SEC, and when the rumors were that they were going to be join the Big Ten, you know, the year prior. Um, so it was a it was a pretty interesting roller coaster ride for me trying to trying to track all this information and figure out exactly uh, where my alma mater was gonna was gonna end up. Um, but then, yes, I came over to ESPNU, and the the network hadn't launched at the time, uh, so I was doing ESPNU games and ESPN games, and then a couple years later, the SEC network launched
1: gotcha gotcha so you've had kind of a front row seat to everything i'm curious now just give us a broad update on everything i know you and i talked right like the week after the SEC men's basketball tournament everything kind of shut down how have things been since then where do things kind of current currently stand now with how you are getting
0: ready for the for i guess the season like no other well you know there's still a lot of unknowns from a broadcast perspective just as there are unknowns um you know for coaches players administration fans um you know there's there's a lot of unknowns. We're not sure yet from a broadcast perspective, um, will we be on site? Will we be somewhere remote? I've been I've been calling Korean baseball games from half the world away from my basement, um, you know, almost every morning at, at 5.30 a.m. Eastern time. So I never thought I'd say that. I'd never thought I'd cover Korean baseball. And I certainly didn't think I'd be calling baseball from my basement. So, you know, you've just got to – Be nimble and be willing to adapt. Um, I had a great thrill this weekend. I was able to call the Subway Series between the Mets and Yankees uh, that was played at Yankee Stadium, and I was sitting in a studio in Charlotte, North Carolina, and my partner was at her home in Bend, Oregon. So there's always a wrinkle um, when it comes to anything in regard to television broadcasting and, and sports broadcasting in 2020.
1: Has it been harder? to do your job would you say with all the changes or is it kind of like at peace knowing that you don't have all the distractions going on around you like catering or people ringing in your ears? Have it been easier or harder would you say
0: no eric it's been immensely harder um but i say that with full self-awareness i'm not digging ditches i'm not laying rebar i'm not roofing like you know when you talk about sports broadcasting being hard really what you're referring to is just the fact that it's Inconvenient, um, And so, you know, typically I have within arm's reach uh, support people that can help me get through a broadcast and, and the voices that we hear over our headset, um, you know, in a regular broadcast, I think would surprise most people. And now you can take those voices and, and multiply them by two or three. So, Um, it's just a a factor of inconvenience. If I would have grown up doing games in this manner, I probably wouldn't think twice about it. But to do the broadcast properly, to get the information um, to the viewer in a timely manner, to make sure um, what you're seeing matches what the fans and viewers are seeing at home, all of that takes an extra process um, and, and extra thinking. And so when you add a layer to any of it, it makes it, less immediate and the less immediate it is the less it feels like you're at the game so I think it's kind of like that that um, very average 80s Michael Keaton movie multiplicity like once you make a copy of something it's fine you make a copy of the copy you lose quality a copy of the copy the copy just sits on the couch eating ice cream uh, with a fork and that's not good for anybody
1: So how do you maintain when you're not hearing the sounds of the stadium and you don't have a view of whatever you want as opposed to what the cameras might show you, giving the best experience possible? How how do do you kind of make up that ground in a sense of it's immensely harder?
0: Well, I'm I'm still learning. I mean, I I think that one of my good skills or great skills as a broadcaster when I'm having a great day is my observation skills. And that might be something that our cameras haven't caught yet. And, you know, it could be in-game action. When you're at uh, Faroe Field and you're calling a game from the press box, you can see Tyler Beatty come out in a wheel route and the camera's not going to catch it. And you see that the linebacker has not slowed that direction and he's going to be wide open as long as the quarterback can find him. And you can be ahead of the play in that sense. Or you can, after the fact, say, man, the running back was wide open and he never saw him uh, versus trying to do that, um, you know, just off of a monitor, you, you just don't see the same thing. Or those observational skills could be, you know, what's happening at the end of the bench. The ball is on one side of the court in a basketball game, and Conzo Martin is having a teaching moment with the guy he just took out of the game at the end of the bench on the other side of the floor. The camera is very rarely going to catch that, especially won't catch that live because they're following the action. So, um, there's there's ways around that. There are different monitors that I have that show other aspects of the playing field or the court or the stadium. It's just a matter of trying to um, trying to think all that in my mind to know where I need to go to find that information. So um, to be quite honest, I'm I'm still learning, and it, it varies sport by sport, and so it'll be a learning process as long as we do it this way. I remember it must have been last year. Um, Missouri's giving us Kentucky, because that's the only
1: game I can remember off the top of my head that was an absolute downpour last year. It must have been you and Jordan Palmer. You poured, like, a whole water bottle on the football to replicate, kind of, you know, how all, Kelly Bryant and, I guess, Lynn Bowden Jr. at the time were having trouble throwing the ball because it was a one run play after another after another in that game. Anything COVID-related or anything, like, like current event-related you plan on bringing to the broadcast? Or did you get the opportunity to be there?
0: This, uh, yeah, that's... That's a great question. That, that was with uh, Jordan Rogers. Jordan Palmer also has great hair, but not as good as Jordan Rogers. Uh, he, he'd be offended if, if I let that one slip. Um, no, I think, I think it'll be interesting. And to be quite honest, you know, I have coaches that I talk to on a regular basis, head coaches, assistant coaches, coordinators, to try and keep pace with what's happening in the world of college football. Um, but without attending a practice and watching it, which I don't know if I'm going to get the chance to do, it's really hard to get a feel for those things that stand out to me that then I get curious about. Um, you know, they've been great sharing information, and here's what we're dealing with, and here's some of the things that people don't think about. But uh, until you observe it yourself, I think it's really hard to um, to put weight to it. So I don't know what that answer is going to be. I think the the question will be when it comes to contact tracing, you know, what are they doing? within the facility to protect certain units. Um, you know, if, if you have a quarterback room, what is typical in college football in and, and any level is that all quarterbacks are going to meet together with the quarterback coach or the offensive coordinator or whoever the play caller is, and they're going to sit in, in a relatively small meeting room and watch film and look at the dry erase board and talk about the playbook but what happens if one of those guys gets it? And I think worst case scenario would be your fifth string quarterback gets it, and due to contact tracing, you've got to fit all of those guys. Does that mean now that you only have meetings uh, for 14 minutes at a time? Does that mean you only meet with one or two of the guys at one time? Or you know, like the you know, like the the infamous story about the, the guys with the recipe for Coca Cola? They're never allowed to travel on the same plane, right? So you, you keep everybody at premium positions separated. I don't have the answers to that yet. Um, we haven't had the, op- the opportunity to observe, and I don't know that we're going to until we make it to game day. But those are a lot of questions that I'm still very curious about.
1: A lot of what you observe uh, as a play-by-play commentator comes from, obviously, right in front of your face, things you observe. And during football season, obviously, in the SEC – I'd say it's the crowds and the cities these games are played in. You know, how are you gonna just? Is it, you know? Are you gonna react when there's ten thousand people in Sanford Stadium in Athens as opposed to ninety-two thousand for every home game? Just do you do you think that when you know when you look at the SEC, it's, it, it's just gonna be more of a just stark contrast? You're like, wow, just how empty Tuscaloosa and Columbia, Missouri, and all those cities are gonna be more than usual then you maybe would at a basketball game, you know, without those fans? Or how do you kind of rationalize calling
0: games when there's going to be limited crowd noise? Well, I think you hit on a great point. It's not just that it's an empty stadium. It's relative to what that stadium would look like if things were normal and that was a normal SEC opponent. Um, But the other side of it is I think you have to look at it as an opportunity as a broadcaster. And, um, you know, luckily, I've had the opportunity to call unimportant games in empty stadiums throughout my career, so I have that experience. But most importantly, I think my experience with the XFL from the spring could come in handy. We, you know, we made it through half the season, um, and it was a it was a great experience. But I I learned more football in those five games than I knew in my you know previous fifteen years covering college football, 20 years covering college football, um, or and longer as a fan because we had access to all of the play calls. And so when we went in to meet with coaches, it wasn't a story about, hey, tell me about recruiting this kid or his family background or, you know, how's his mom doing? No, it was, um, hey, what does this play call mean and, and what are you looking for? So when you get a chance to do that with Hal Mummy, who founded the Air Raid, um, or with Bob Stoops, who was you know, one of the great head coaches in college football and a, a great defensive coordinator prior to that, you learn a lot about the game just simply by listening. So I think we can learn a lot about the game by listening. Um, they're going to, uh, you know, from what I understand, they're going to pump crowd noise in um, to, to some degree, but you're going to be able to hear the cadence from the quarterback, un- unlike you've ever been able to hear it before. And so Jordan Rodgers, my partner who played in the SEC, or Cole Kublick, who was uh, an offensive lineman in the SEC, can tell you what that means when the quarterback is calling out audibles at the line of scrimmage. So, yeah, it's going to be different. It's not going to be 107,000 going nuts at Neyland Stadium or Kyle Field or Faroe Field or whatever the number is, um, but it'll give you a, a very different perspective, and I think it gives – Us an opportunity to teach the game and teach people what it's like, you know, to be that quarterback or to be the center when you're looking over the, uh, you know, trying to find the Mike linebacker and point to your blockers where they need to go.
1: Is there any, I know the assignments you, and which games you call are completely out of your control. And I guess more so where you're going to be when those games are going to be this year, kind of out of your control. But is there a game you kind of really would like to be on the headset for coming this year, knowing everything that's going on with COVID?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, You know, I I wouldn't be so – I don't know. I I mean, listen, I'd just be happy to call any game. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know exactly where we're going to be. I know what the SEC Network schedule looks like, but I I don't know that that's necessarily going to be by the book and in play for us. I I was just looking at the schedule week one of the SEC. I think Auburn-Kentucky is going to be a fascinating game. Um, I think that's the game of the weekend. I'm gonna I'm gonna politic with my bosses to see if we can get there for that for that early start. But if you man, if you gave me the chance to pick a game every weekend in the SEC, whether it be twenty twenty or, or any season, you give me the chance to pick what is most likely the, the game of the week in college football. I, I don't think you could ever go wrong. And there are times where you say, well, you can only have your second choice. Well, That's fine, too. I mean, I, I don't have the schedule memorized, but if you told me I could take second choice every week in, in the SEC, um, not only would I take it, but I'm fairly certain that that would be the envy of every other broadcaster out there. Yeah,
1: I, 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 I'm not sure whether it would be a second choice for you, but, you know the number three team in the country coming to your hometown in prime time on ESPN Week One after Auburn Kentucky is not not a bad choice. I think it's no, true. I
0: would I would one hundred percent sign up for that. That's a that's a great point. Yeah, I would I would love it. Um, and and to that point, first of all, I've got a lot of confidence in what um, what Coach Drink's doing there, and I think they're going to be successful long term. Uh, this is going to be a unique season for everybody. Uh, but what I really view when I saw Missouri's schedule and I know he wasn't happy with it, but the way I viewed it is this is going to be an opportunity for a program to score some upset wins and to be competitive in some games that in a, in a regular season, giving the talent differential right now, maybe they wouldn't be. And the reason I say that is, is not just health related. You're going to have guys missing games uh, via COVID or via contact tracing. That's going to have an impact on teams. But I think that, from a mental standpoint, you know, the team that can stay together um, and to keep their heads up even after frustrations is going to be the team that's going to have a huge advantage. I think we'll see more upsets in college football this year than we ever have before um, because it's going to be a, a mentally strenuous year for, for most teams. You know, I was talking with Buster only. Recently, about the major league season, and he said, Listen, there are already major league teams. This was two weeks ago. There are already major league teams that have given up on the season. There are clubhouses that have shut it down, and that's even before they got to the halfway point. Whether they were still in the mix for a postseason berth and the expanded playoffs or not, these are professionals who have just said, You know what? This is a grind, and I'll go through the motions, but I'm not going to give above and beyond. And so, and Eli Drinkwitz is a master motivator. And he's an incredible communicator. And if he can continue that in this challenging season, I think that team's going to have more advantages than others. That's, that, that's pretty. That's a pretty good view. Because
1: I, I thought kind of that same opportunity realm for him where it looks like, I mean, I, I guess save a loss to Arkansas or Vanderbilt at home, I'm not sure there's much that can derail the momentum he's built because of all of the you know, different just variables not only with social justice issues, but COVID and being a first-year head coach and having – in a normal year, it would be bizarre anyway, but this is just one on top of another, a season like no other. I know we've said that a lot. So just looking at what you've seen from so far and knowing you grew up here and you you know have seen the likes of Pinkle, Barry Odom, and probably even further beyond that, that coaches that have been here, maybe even going back to a Warren Powers or a Bob Stoll, do you think in the eight months you've seen from Franklin so far – how does he fit in with
0: Columbia's vibe, would you say? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, wow. With Columbia's vibe. Okay, well, so before I answer that, mm-hmm. I want you to answer a question. Like, How would you describe Columbia's vibe? Because it's certainly a different town than the one I grew up in that was just, you know, 60,000 and more of a college town burg as it grows year after year after year. Um, if you told somebody who's never been there, how would you describe Columbia's vibe? And I, I like how you flipped it on me, but and full full discretion for anybody out there. I've only lived here since
1: July of 2018, so if my opinion on the vibe is incorrect or invalid, please someone on Twitter or something correct me. But uh, how I would describe it is, very much the foundation of the town is still very much Mizzou. And the town would not be the same without Mizzou and then MU Healthcare and everything comes from having a flagship university with little competition around it. You go to the north, it's probably Iowa to the west. It's the next biggest university of that size is Kansas. You go to the east, it's probably Illinois Northwestern right there. You go to the south, it's Arkansas. So they just have just a huge swath of land that might be the biggest part of any country population-wise, that they kind of dominate. So when you think of Columbia, you still think of Mizzou. There's just more kind of, I guess, reasons nowadays more than ever, whether it be restaurants or farmland or whatever that surround Columbia that make it a lifetime destination that have nothing to do with Mizzou, and those possibilities seem to be growing more and more and more.
0: So here's, I do not disagree with that. I think you're right on it. For a guy who's only lived there for a couple of years, um, I think you're on it. I think think that's fair. Um, You know, Columbia can be, can be whatever you want it to be, is my experience. Um, you know, if, if you want to be more involved with the university, you can do that. If you want to get away from it, um, you may not be able to fully escape it from an economic impact standpoint. But you know, you can do that. You don't need to go to games. You don't need to send your kids to school there. You could um, you could have a, a nice life and not really be involved with the university or go downtown or it it can be what you want. And there's enough there for everybody in, in my opinion. Um, Now you could certainly prove me, prove me wrong. This is going to go a little bit above your head. um, But Columbia residents, uh, you know, who've lived there for years would get this. uh, Columbia used to have a mayor by the name of Darwin Hyndman. And, Um, I don't remember how long he was there. I think, I mean, he was probably the mayor for 15 years. And he was, the way I remember him, he was a little bit goofy, and maybe he was a little bit aloof, but he was just present. And Columbia had incredible growth while he was the mayor, whether he deserves credit for that or not. I have no idea. I don't know a thing about city politics. I just knew that that was the mayor. Like, that's that's my own experience with him. Uh, And I believe he's passed away since then. So I think – Yeah, early 2019, because I I had just started here when that happened. Yeah, I remember Okay, yeah. So I think Eli's got a little Darwin Hyndman in him, okay, in the sense that, you know, he may end up getting a sandwich named after him. Um, he is this energetic guy who who may act in ways that make you think, well, that, that wasn't exactly what I expected out of an SEC football coach, but that he's made me think. And it makes sense the direction he's going with that. Um, and I think he will – I believe that you're going to look at his tenure and say that's a coach that makes you think. He makes you think about where you stand. He makes you think about how you perceive his program. He makes you think about – the possibilities of this program and what it could be. And it could also be very exciting. I don't have another, um, I don't have another poll to, and I don't mean polit- politician, but mm-hmm. I don't have, um, you know, if Darwin Hyman was, was the North pole, I don't have a South pole to out- offer balance to this because I don't know why it just popped into my head and it's so random. Um, but I, he's, he's more than that. So don't get me wrong. But I think he's going to be a guy who's going to get things done by attacking them from a different angle um, and by making people think. And The, the energy, uh, number one, is, is different. Okay, so compare him to, say, Norm Stewart. Well, Norm Stewart got things done because he was a larger-than-life man, and he just moved through the world at his pace, and he, and he was a winner, and he recruited winners, and he said, this is how we're going to do this, and you're either with me or we're going to steamroll you. Um, that would be the opposite end of the spectrum. So I don't think Eli would ever be a guy like that, but I do believe that he's a guy that can be a, a take charge coach that can win. And it, it, to win at Missouri in the SEC, I firmly believe you've got to do things a little bit differently. And my, my comp for that would be what Mark Stoops has done with Kentucky. Mark Stoops was given time to be successful from the get-go. He came in with a blueprint of how to build his program, and that blueprint was different than anything that had been done in the SEC before, and that was given their location to not recruit necessarily in SEC land, but to look north into Big Ten country and get those guys that weren't good enough for Ohio State and maybe had a chip on their shoulder, but still wanted to play major college football, and maybe they weren't excited about uh, I don't know, going to Indiana, and they weren't going to go to Purdue, and they had no interest in going to Rutgers. They were better than those, and he would say, come here and play in the SEC, and we can, we can prove to everybody that you were better than what Ohio State thought you were. That's what he did with Lynn Bowden, who had an amazing year last year. But the point is, Mark Stoops had a game plan to come in and be different and recruit differently and go places and do things that other SEC teams weren't doing. And he's been able to ride that to a successful three-, four-year run that has included, you know, top five draft picks in a 10-win season.
1: Well, I don't think I'm ever going to get a better answer than that out of, out of uh, just talking about Eli. That was that was pretty darn great. Thanks, uh, Tom. So uh, I'll leave you with this final question, Tom. I know you come back, you come back to town often, obviously, with your job. When, when you come back to Columbia, where, where's the Park uh, family eating the, their best
0: fa- uh, family dinner at in town? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I, um, I'd like to take a little bit of credit for this recent run you've seen, um, and this is since the FCC Network launched, with everybody from ESPN showing up to Booch's for lunch, especially on a, on a football Friday. i got people turned on to it. Next thing you know, and, and John Sunbold, uh, you know, my basketball partner deserves credit too. He certainly does as a Columbia resident. So Booch's is, is always on my list. That's the first stop. If, if I'm flying in from Atlanta – there's an 8 a.m. flight that gets me in, time, in town in time to pick up my rental car, get down I-70 from St. Louis, and get to Booch's by 11.40, 11.45. So that's that's the first stop. I usually always um, – not usually, always. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, I typically try to make a stop in at Murray's, take my parents there. They always see a dozen people that they haven't seen in months. So that's, that's a fun experience. And um, – and other than that, I don't I don't know that there's others that really jump off the page. Um, the, the, those are my bookends. If I get those two in, and I can mix in something else, like go to Flat Branch for lunch one day, um, then I'm probably doing pretty good. And then I, of course, shout out to to Pam and T A at Shiloh. I I always make it down there. Uh, you know, have a beer, reminisce, maybe grab some ribs, and and that's that completes my trip.
1: Gotcha. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for your time. Once again, that was Tom Hart from the SEC Network and Columbia Native. I'll throw that in there again. Uh, You can find him on Twitter at Tom underscore Hart, H-A-R-T. Anywhere else people could find you or interact with you, or they'll just be listening to you invading their TV
0: screens, no matter where you're at, coming this fall, hopefully. No, Eric, that's a great spot to start. Um, You know, I'm also on Instagram. I I, I apologize to any of my Columbia friends who messaged me on Facebook. I've I've tried to quit that as much as I can, so I'm not there as often. Um, But then between now and then, before I get into the college football mix, you can find me doing some Major League Baseball on ESPN and Korean Baseball if you want to get up before the Roosters do. That's, that's a regular occurrence uh, during the weekdays. So thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I always love coming back to Columbia and a special hello to all my friends listening to this one. All
1: right. Thanks so much, Tom. It's always great to catch up with you, and I'll hopefully be seeing you with a mask on and a press box as well. That'd be great. We would like to thank our sponsors for the Missouri Sports Podcast, University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create your perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols, State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. And now back to our podcast. And thank you once again to Tom Harbour for joining us on this week's Mr. Before I forget, the Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by our neighborhood Zaxby's today. And the Columbia location of Zaxby's is on Stadium Boulevard and North 63. Langston Lucem is also back with me. Langston, I know we talked off-camera. There was something that caught your eye in one of my stories from the protest yesterday, and I know you want to kind of speak on it. So coming back from the interview with Tom Hart, here's the floor. Speak on it. Yeah, I one of the quotes from Kasan Suggs that really kind of stood out to me, and I'm going to
2: paraphrase that because um, to kind of make it flow better for the podcast. But he talked a little bit about you know when he's on the track and he's running a 400 meter, you know, race. You know, he knows where he is. He has everything planned out. He's calm, cool, and collected. But when he's not, you know, in a Mizzou uniform, when he's not on the track, he's nervous. You know, he he feels paranoid. And as a black male myself, I can totally relate to that feeling of you should feel safe walking around in this community and you should feel safe when you see a police officer, um, whether that's driving behind you, you know, in Columbia or whether it's on the highway. But you don't. And um, just kind of, you know, behind the, uh, the lens here. I made a trip to Lynchburg, Virginia in early August. And before any type of road trip or, you know, plane ride, me and my mom always get on the phone and we pray together and just pray for safe travels, Um, pray that we don't get sick, especially on planes. And um, this year, there was kind of this pause when we started to pray because we both knew what we were thinking. It's not, you know, about a car accident that we're afraid about. It's not about, you know, me falling asleep on a 13-hour drive. It's the, what if I get pulled over? What am I going to do in that situation? Is that situation going to, you know, is that police officer going to leave that situation where I'm shot or where I'm potentially dead? And, you know, I'm running through the situation with my mom, like my, my wallet is in the middle console. The title registration, car insurance, that's in the glove compartment. I know to put my hands on the steering wheel and, you know, look, the officer say, yes, sir, no, sir. Or, yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. But just to have that conversation and in the middle of a prayer, just kind of break from the prayer to oh, we have to go through this like this checklist right now. And just being afraid when you're on the road and you see a couple behind you is like, this could be it. It's terrifying. And I, as a non-athlete, as I already said on the podcast, mm-hmm. I could totally relate to where Suggs was coming from when he says that. And I think it's important from athletes to you know, people in the community, whether that's children, whether that's adults, they look up to these athletes and they see them on Saturdays or wherever, whenever these respective sports play. And these athletes matter. And their voices matter, and I love that they had a platform to kind of
1: project and to talk about that this week. Yeah, one, one of my main takeaways that has nothing to do with the uh, protest yesterday, and thank you, Langston, for sharing that, was the likes of a Kassan Suggs on the Mizzou track and field team, a Kiara Slack, who's, who's the vice president of the MBSAA, uh, who's on the Mizzou soccer team, and then a Tina Kamasi, Ariel Mack, uh, Olivia Evans, Kobe Whiteside, were kind of the group's leadership who represented uh, themselves yesterday was just how kind of composed they all were, how, you know, respectful during the press conferences. Like, we're talking about this serious topic where they're putting themselves completely out there and being really vulnerable, but yet in front of, like, probably as much media as usually goes to a Mizzou football or basketball game, you know, especially the Columbia people, you know, not not as much from the national outlets in Casey and St. Louis as usually shows up to those kinds of things, but a good amount of people that I've seen covering anything in person probably since. March. I mean, really, if you think about it, yesterday was the first time I got to see the the, the the beat crew in person. All of us were there yesterday. It was the first time I've seen all of them since March 13th. And they're all composed, all smiles, camera ready, and just answering every question thoughtfully and, you know, honestly. And that was kind of one of the parts that struck me is this never, in a single sense, was led by a Mizzou, you know, staff member. Yes, they were all there and kind of keeping a watchful eye out to make sure, you know, security and everything did their jobs and nothing was gonna out of hand, but when it came to the actual production of the event, it was from the six of them. And that was that was that was pretty cool to me is that, you know, it, it, they, they went the extra mile to make sure that if this is gonna be labeled a Mizzou student athlete led protest to bring awareness to racial justice issues we're going to do this ourselves. At the end of the day, you know, to be a, in college, you kind of got to grow up yourself and you're growing up in college. But to be a Division One athlete, you kind of got to be an adult by the time you already step on campus. So they showed their maturity yesterday in a way that I think has to be respected regardless of what your views are. And I
2: love the way you put that as putting themselves out there because no one wants to talk about walking in their community and being afraid. That is not someone anyone wants to volunteer uh, you know Going from your story From today um, Nice plug <laughs> <laughs> Always Trying to plug uh, Kamasi talked a little bit About you know Her decision To kind of be a part Of the Mizzou Black Athletes the Mizzou Black Athletes um, Y'all th-
1: we get 60% Association
2: right I, I'm right there Mizzou I, I thought Black there was athlete, three A's
1: Mizzou Black <laughs> Student Athletes Association Yeah I we're, we're sorry case on Or you know Everybody else are real listening I apologize I I do keep on confusing it with Misha, but um, she talked a little
2: bit about, you know, coming from a different country. And, you know, the question, the internal question in her head is, you know, why fight for the United States? She's only been here for four years. And I think her answer was the most, you know, American thing you can say. And I'm quoting this from your story. This country means a lot to me when I wake up in the morning and I see those things on television and see friends standing by my side and my peers and my friends. Why wouldn't I want to stand by their side? They're hurting and I can see it in their eyes that's important we it's not just black athletes at zoo or black people in the columbia community that need to stand up and show their solidarity with these athletes it's yeah. it's other people who can have some type of empathy and, and show their solidarity and say, this is wrong and we want to stand with you. That's important. And, like, once again, I keep saying it, but I was just so excited that, that this happened
1: on, you know, my alma mater's campus. Yeah, well, one of the other moments yesterday that kind of struck me was uh, during Kiara Slack's speech, you know, um, and I, I don't know the exact demographics of Mizzou soccer, but I imagine that it, I, or I know for a fact that it's a majority white team. I just don't know how many other minorities are in the fold there. Uh, but to see her entire team that was able to attend and coaches that were there just to support her after her 10 minutes speech got a standing ovation was pretty cool you knew where they were sitting in the stadium that was that was that was pretty cool um, and I mean you know just thinking about how this country is represented and it got me thinking soccer wise you know obviously the USA did not play in the 2018 uh, World Cup but they played in 2014 and I was thinking of like USA players I could only think of three of african-american descent that were on that team julian green jermaine jones josie altador actually fourth one just off my head right up top my head deandre yedlin so and i mean obviously soccer is not the most i don't know the right way to say this but it it is obviously a more prevalent sport when you see soccer teams across the country men's soccer is not a prevalent sport i'll I'll put that on that comment women's soccer is a different story i i would i would agree um but you know just to see the melting pot of how they just all reacted yesterday was, was a really cool thing, and that's what I was getting at, is that just when you look at just the race breakdown, it really none of that seemed to matter yesterday. At the end of the day, it's like, yes, we're marching, especially with the forefront of the mistreatment of African Americans, but yet if, if you try and identify what the stereotype or what the, you know, personality type of the people who are marching are, I'm not sure you get a, you get a uniform answer. It is, we are, you know, tired of the mistreatment of African-Americans. That is the one common denominator. I'm not sure there'd be another one other than that we all were in Columbia, Missouri yesterday. And, and even at that, like, I talked to Langston a little bit off air about like what it's like to cover one of these things. And it's like, you know, is it even worth me marching? Do I need to get a bird scooter? Like, if I, like is it even worth me marching with them? Is that too much? But I realize, like, being on the ground with them, I can get a sense for the event and really put my eyes on who's there. Like I was able to identify it would take too long. Like I'd say around 100 people from football, basketball, other sports coaches, staff members and everybody, you know, just so I decided to do that. But one thing I decided not to do was wear black. And the protesters were all, dist- uh, you know, invited to wear black there. And that's what basically 99 percent of the protesters were wearing. And I decided that as someone who's regardless of what your view should be, your, sh- your view should not matter when writing the story so I decided not to wear black and it's like I'm I'm trying to be as unbiased as possible if there's some person who is not in favor of these protesters which is your right to be in favor of it I just think that you need to be a little more educated um I didn't want that right to be like wow you know he was wearing black he's writing it from a biased point of view and so I decided to wear green yesterday and I don't know if I was overthinking it but I thought of it the same way as I cover everything at the end of the day as a journalist, if I'm going to cover Mizzou, I'm not going to wear anything yellow or black. If I'm going to cover Rockbridge, I'm not wearing anything green or yellow. I don't see how this is any different in my eyes. Uh, two
2: points off of that: one, I didn't know bird scooters were back in Columbia. <laughs> I chuckled I just one, at the thought of it. Uh, those left super quickly, and then two, I I think you know I have not personally covered protests. I was a part of just several protests, you know, after George Floyd's death this past summer but any ideals or anything that you take towards a game whether that's wearing different colors or you know showing your support or things like that you should have the same with a protest so if you feel more comfortable not wearing you know colors that are part of what you're covering then you should do that and it i think it was important that you were able to be there and and to march kind of with them because that gives you the most close up the most authentic you know way of telling that story you saw it you were part of it and you can't really tell the story and that's why you know, for me I'm just taking everything from your writing and things that I saw on social media because I wasn't there Right. but you were and you have an account that you know that I, just, I, I simply just can't compare, c- compare to
1: and and I don't think it was a matter of comfort and sorry if I come off the wrong way that I wasn't I, not like I wouldn't have been comfortable wearing black I mean it, obviously black attracts heat and it might have I might have sweated more but that might have been the only thing discomfort wise would have been different but it was just a matter of ethically as a journalist. I didn't – I was I was going back and forth in my head for like 20 minutes before I was leaving. Like, should I wear this? Should I wear something with a little bit of black? Or I, And then I just decided straight green. But anyway, I know we, we, we – Lance and I both really want to talk about football more. So let's end this episode, and thank you for listening to us talk about that. That's really what's been in the headlines from Mizzou since the last time we came to you. It's really just been all social injustice stuff. And, I mean, we're starting to kind of look at at least from my perspective, starting to plan – what our season previews are going to look like for Mizzou now and trying to plan out what interviews you need to do ahead of time to get whatever first and 10 or Mizzou preview section we usually do done and whatever that looks like by game day. You know, I, I believe the past two years, um, the, preview section for mizzou sports has come out the thursday before the first game so two days before the first game two years ago danny jones wrote the cover story on drew Locke. last year i wrote on kelly bryant obviously i think it's without a shock that this year's cover story would probably be on eli drinkwitz as a new head coach except for the, the great uh you know, tagline for this story, new to the zoo. We, 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 I don't want to say we wasted on Kelly Bryant, but that much more fits drink now knowing that. But I think last year, if you would bet, Oh yeah, in 2020, you're going to be writing about a new head coach after, you know, Missouri implodes, I wouldn't have believed you at all. So, you know, you, you can't say things like that. So we're starting to get everything in order and I'm sure Langston might even write some, write some Mizzou stuff just because of how much usually goes into a, it's been 48 pages or it was 24 of them were Mizzou is 48 prep and college football 24 mizzou that's a lot of content to get out there so hope we'll keep you updated if we're doing anything like that that's still all up in the air with covid obviously but yeah that's kind of where we're at and i i do you you want anything football wise or actual sports wise or do you want to kind of leave it where it is you know i
2: i guess my message to all the listeners is when there's sports, we're going to talk about sports, and but when there's prevalent Mizzou news that involves social justice or involves you know protests or involves marches, we're going to cover that. And as you know, beat reporters, you know what happens in the games or what happens in in practice is just a part of what we do, and it, it is not everything.
1: Yeah, and if you still want to think about it that way, I mean, still probably half this episode with talking to Tom Moore—that was all football and the, kind of his plan going forward for covering games and stuff. So it's kind of at least half and half and, you know, even though on the other side, links and I were talking a lot about the Mizzou social issues of the day. Next week, we come back to you will maybe be like September 10th or maybe even September 11th. One of the two dates, maybe we'll have more chances to talk to Mizzou football and know some more schedules for volleyball and soccer. But until then, Langston Newsom, thanks for co hosting with me. I don't know why I had to use first and last there at Langston Newsom, but thank you, Langston, for co hosting with me. And I've been Eric Blom. Thank you for listening to this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast. We will see you next
0: week.